Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 265 for the 3rd of November, 2017. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and this week I'm coming to you from the offices of Tom's Guide uh, with friend of the podcast, Paul Wagonseal. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks. Uh, it, was, it was great meeting you here this week. Uh, I'm, I'm here in New York for the O'Reilly Security Conference, and uh, I was speaking at the very end of, uh, end of the conference on, on Wednesday. And uh, we got to spend some time there with uh, some other friends and journalists and all this kind of thing. And I was curious, you know, kind of what, what was your take for the conference this year? I know you went to the 2016 O'Reilly conference as well. And uh, what are your thoughts? Well, there were a lot more uh, uh, people, um, noteworthy presenters and, and, and attendees as well this year. Last year was not sparsely attended, but there, it didn't really seem to have much attention within the security community. This year, this year it did, and I like that, and I really like the idea of having a nice regular security conference in New York because really there aren't that many. There's B-sides in New York, but that seems to be sort of a little little sporadic. So if this actually really gets up and running, it'll it'll be it'll be good for the infosec community, especially based in New York. My problem with it though was that there wasn't a lot of news happening. Uh, there weren't a lot of really interesting things presented, at least from my end. Um, a lot of it was just basically to sort of Telling people how to get their IT people motivated. It was all very professional to professional. There weren't any exploits disclosed. It was more kind of like pep talks and TED talks to get uh, IT professionals and their supervisors sort of encouraged to reach out to users and get people to report you know, things that they find, which is all very nice and wonderful, but there isn't a lot of news to it, which is what I want to see. Precisely, and, and you know, for, for those that are practitioners, uh, that, that's probably a real benefit of attending that type of a conference, and there's a lot, uh, there were a lot of talks I saw on kind of process and things that uh, large companies have worked out on how they deal with certain types of problems and sharing that sort of, uh, that knowledge that they've gained and hoping to, by passing it on, maybe, you know, uh, other individuals who don't have as large a teams or as much resources might be able yeah. to learn some things from that. And, and those things are all really helpful. But you're right. I mean, from a journalism standpoint, I mean, it's, one, it's a challenge that we've <laughs> talked about for a long time, right? Like, you know, everybody wants to talk about the latest uh, car hack or a bug with an interesting name or yeah. this kind of stuff. And it's it's often uh, difficult to find something to talk about when it's something that's a, a bit, bit more mundane. And it, and it really you know, sadly really is mundane. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. not something that you can make interesting because there's a small number of people in the world who have that problem, who care enough about it to need to know more about it. Right. And this is one of the places they come together to share that information. Yeah, I'm not saying it was bad. It was actually, and I commend the organizers. Without really saying so, they basically made sure that about half the presenters were women, which is actually pretty important in our in our industry, uh, in the InfoSec community. And glad to see it happening. And I'm also glad to see it happening without any big big fuss made, made, made about it. Yeah, I think, I think maybe that was part of the success of the event uh, from the other side though from this uh, um, pro this practical social uh, you know, process oriented conferences that uh, actually you know women have a tendency in our industry to be, be more builders than breakers I don't see as many women pen testers as I see women managers that are uh, running teams or or, or building systems uh, and certainly that's true in my own experience within within Sophos and other places uh, and, and maybe having this sort of a builder conference rather than a breaker conference uh, attracted more more women to both attend and participate because uh, you know there are certainly some social aspects to that as well yeah I could see that I mean other news that's been going on the last two weeks since I did the last podcast I mean fortunately we haven't had any uh, earth-shattering bugs or, or panic attacks over anything in the industry which is always nice but uh, there's been a couple headlines that brought some attention to me and a few that maybe tie back a little bit to the O'Reilly conference one is the the thumb drive that was lost with a bunch of information about Heathrow uh, 
airport security, including movements of the Queen and security details and all this kind of stuff. I, I guess I should say Her Majesty the Queen. No, you're an American now. Oh, that's right. I'm in the USA. I, I, can, <laughs> I, I can get away without that. But it, what surprised me less than there being a whole bunch of sensitive data on a thumb drive is, again, that in these highly critical security situations, people are still carrying around unencrypted thumb drives with data on them. And, and I'm, not, I'm not terribly surprised when I hear about uh, you know, the, the neighborhood insurance agent losing the thumb drive with the photos of all the houses they took pictures of that day to, to, for insurance purposes or this kind of thing. But I am a little surprised when we're talking about the movements of Her Majesty the Queen <laughs> Or, you know, in the case a few weeks ago with NSA secrets being stolen again from a, a Booz Allen laptop, like, do you get any impression from, you know, the, the talking to other security experts, you know, you, you interview a lot of people and things as a journalist, like, is this message not getting through because it's too hard or is it message not getting through because nobody's listening? Nobody's listening. I mean, do you really are, are you are you that surprised that, the, that a British civil servant would not know much about digital security? I'm not. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, this is about IT more than the civil servant, and yeah. uh, we shouldn't be making these things optional. I know within within our network, uh, when we create new documents in Microsoft Office, they're encrypted by default for mm -hmm. our staff, and if you need to share them externally, that you know you have to go through a process to do that. Which yeah. it's an easy process, but the point is, we don't want people to have to think about it. And you would hope when we're talking about airport security and or leaders of our nation's security, <laughs> you would think that would be kind of the norm you know are, are are the tools too hard to use is that part of the problem you think I, mean, I think the problem is most people don't I want to dial back a bit and I think one of the real issues is that 90% of the people who use these devices have no idea how they work um, and are kind of scared to learn you know most most people who I most of my relatives, for example, who don't work in IT-related jobs, a couple do, but the ones who don't, to them, this is all mystifying. It's all mystifying. They couldn't tell you the difference between HTTP and HTTPS. They have no idea. And in a way, maybe they shouldn't have to learn it because they. we should make it as, as user-friendly for them and as easy for them to use all this stuff without having to worry about the security. And that was actually one thing that somebody brought up at the O'Reilly conference is you shouldn't have to expect people to, to, to you know, mount this, this steep learning curve to, in order to lose this stuff. We, the tech community is sort of losing, is losing the trust of millions of its users because it can't make its own devices trust, trustworthy and secure enough. And we, I'm afraid, have to dumb it down even more. I have to say, I mean, I, I don't really use Apple products that much, but they are masters at making things simple and user-friendly to use and secure. The, uh, the iOS operating system is really a masterpiece of user friendliness and security. If Apple can do it, other people can do it too. Yeah, I, I think this isn't just a tech problem. It just causes a much larger issue in tech. Obviously, a thumb drive can hold millions of records. Absolutely. All this kind of sensitive data. I, I ran into the exact same thing here in the right. washrooms uh, in, in your building and that uh, the, uh, there's a pull handle on the push door in the men's room and I'm like, this is terrible design because uh, the first thing I did was walk up and pull it, right? And uh, But it's one of those things, right? We, got, we have to build systems yeah. to be intuitive, to be smart, to yeah. think about how people are going to use them and obviously the problem in the washroom is pretty easy for me to figure out that I need to push it, instead it, of pull. It's, but it, it's an overall problem just in part of in the entire tech industry, not just the security aspect of it, is that things are designed by engineers they're not designed by, by uh, user interface designers. Um, I, I know that, of course, user interface designers do have a job, but one thing that Apple has done really well, and again, I don't really use Apple products, but they 
do make things incredibly user-friendly and, and look at, they make things so you can intuitively know how to use it right from the get-go. And I think more, more people in the tech industry, more uh, organizations should try to sort of at least emulate that approach. Well, yeah, and on that note, I mean, there's some good news, at least in, in yeah. security this week, and that the, in addition to not hearing any uh, devastating stories about anybody uh, being victimized by this crack vulnerability in Wi-Fi, mm. Uh, a lot of the big vendors have got their their patches pushed out, so it looks like Apple's pushed out their fixes for uh, for OS X and mm-hmm. iOS. The Essential Phone from Andy Rubin, the original founder of Android, uh, they got their fixes out even before Google, which is a bit surprising. Google should have them have them out in the next day or two for at least the Pixel and Nexus platforms. It seems like all vendors have been moving along at a pretty good clip on that. I know all of our uh, access points at Sophos now have had the last fixes went out for us on the 30th of October. So uh, everybody seems to respond pretty well. I think this this is, a, this is good news in a couple of ways. It kind of shows that this whole concept of coordinated disclosure on behalf of responsible researchers can work. It's not like we were all fixed at minute zero, but we were all able to respond promptly enough that hopefully we're going to head off the worst of this without anything really coming of it. And maybe it didn't even deserve a name and a logo. It may, perhaps not, but again, the weak spot in this is, is going to be Android because you know the Essential got patched, the, uh, the, the Nexus, Nexus and Pixel phones are going to get their patches probably this week, probably maybe even today. The Samsung flagship phones are probably going to get it soon after that. But what about everybody else? They're not going to get their Android phones patched for weeks, months, ever against a crack attack. I don't really know how serious a crack attack is. I mean, I've, I've read the technical stuff. The practical sort of uh, considerations of it are a little... I, I can't really judge that. I know some people are saying this is really not that big a deal. Just patch it, you're fine. But what if you don't get a patch? Um, and once again, I have to give kudos to Apple for, for doing it right. And uh, to Android and Google for not quite getting it right. And actually, I want to bring up one more thing. This is interesting. We're seeing a lot more malicious Chrome extensions uh, popping up. And I'm wondering, what is Google doing about that? It's not, it doesn't seem to be screening them very well. And are we going to have repetition of the, of the problem with, with, with malicious Android apps in Google Play, which crop up from time to time? Are we going to have that in, in the... You know, in, 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 Chrome in, a, in a Chrome, the Chrome store, we seem to be we seem to be approaching that point, and that would really be pretty bad if it got out of hand. Um, and I really don't know what Google is doing about it. Yeah, I would hope that they would take a page from Mozilla's book, and that uh, you know, Firefox, while never having quite the problem that Chrome has had, uh, they've changed their model so users can't easily go into developer mode and bypass the the screening slash. Uh, signing process. So if yeah. you want to load an unauthorized plugin for Firefox, you actually have to uninstall Firefox and load a special developer edition of Firefox that will allow you to bypass the security right. methods and not just check a box or say a thing that goes, yes, I'd like to install this anyway. And, and I think, you know, creating those hurdles do generally work. I mean, if you're going to go through to the point of installing a developer edition of the browser just to get yourself infected, I don't want to say you deserve it, but I mean, you're going to go through all those steps, you ought to know what you're doing. But what about what, what, what does Chrome do to screen, app, screen apps? Well, my understanding is the Chrome screening process is similar to the Android screening process, which is that they won't tell us anything and that algorithms rule everything and that all problems can be solved with code. Yeah. But obviously that's not true. You know, Google has a lot to lose here. They've got a huge market share yeah. and the new version of Firefox that's coming out in a few weeks is faster than Chrome, which is the, one of the primary reasons many people left Firefox for Chrome to start with was that Chrome was so stable, reliable, and fast and it's gotten bloated and unreliable because yeah. of these extensions now. 
and Firefox is swooping in right behind him with a new, you know, enhanced uh, rendering engine that's pretty fast itself. So I love browser wars. I just keep, I mean, the, the more they switch back and forth, the better because we win. We get more security, we get more speed, and hopefully we get more usability. And maybe this, maybe this problem will, it'll either force Chrome to be a heck of a lot more safe, which is a great thing for hundreds of millions of users, or people will start leaving Chrome and that'll force Google to innovate. Well, it also threatens the Chrome OS. I mean, what about all those Chromebooks? You don't, you know, people think that they, they can't get infected. Well, maybe now they can if, 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 if Google doesn't, doesn't patrol its, 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 its Chrome extensions well. You don't want to have a you don't you don't want to have a worm spreading across Chromebooks. No, in fact, I mean it, it, they did a pretty darn good jo job on the design of the thing itself, but all of that design relies on only authorized things coming into yep. the ecosystem, right? You can secure the bootloader all you want, that doesn't stop a bad extension. So that's a really interesting point, Paul. I'm glad you brought that up. And in fact, I I might use it to I'm going to use that to uh, to to kill a, a less interesting story that we were going to talk about and just wrap <laughs> up with a final one, which is well, and, and this is a much more concerning thing. There was actually two stories in the last 24 hours that seem to be related to internal controls at large cloud companies. Uh, there's some rumors going around on Twitter this morning about Facebook maybe uh, still screening people's URLs and private messages. There were some lawsuits over this a few years ago and there's uh, a researcher alleging that they sent a link through that a Facebook employee apparently clicked or intercepted even though it was in a private message which is very concerning about internal controls within Facebook. It's one thing when you know We'll let the NSA worry about their internal controls and the problems they're having, but <laughs> we, we do need to expect the same things from our other cloud providers, uh, not just our spies, right? I mean, we do need this from Google. We do need this from Facebook and, and providers that have access to our, our sensitive information. And then, uh, amusingly, a very similar thing, the president of the United States disappeared off Twitter for 11 minutes last night. And uh, that was, again, apparently due to some internal controls. Uh, an employee on their last day, uh, I will just read the tea leaves and say for their own amusement took the president off Twitter but should an employee have that kind of power and access and where are the where are the checks and balances in these systems that Facebook employees can read private messages and Twitter employees can just wipe out people's accounts yeah it's, it's like the uber employees in their God mode they it's uh, you know with great power comes great responsibility and it seems like you're only getting the first <laughs> in these instances yeah well and, and most of these companies operating here in the US there's not much of a regulatory environment around this it's it's kind of up to, to lawsuits to sort of dictate dictate yeah. what's going to be the norm and of course as individual citizens with our private data at risk we don't really get the opportunity to even have the lawsuit to find out these things are happening until one of us stumbles upon the situation where uh, the abuse is discovered and uh, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, I, I would love Love to uh, to see what happens in the Twitter case, especially just because of the the politics and drama surrounding it. But it's something I'd like to put out there that you know companies really, uh, if you're in a, if you're a service provider and you're offering uh, managed cloud security services or you're offering uh, your product as a cloud or an app enabled thing on a, on a phone, etc. You darn well better have some really strict internal controls, and if you don't, if this happens, uh, it's going to be you know potentially millions of dollars in lawsuits. Not to mention, uh, with Europe cracking down more and more on privacy, and the rest of the world, even if the U.S. isn't, uh, there's going to going to create a really difficult business environment if you're not careful. We have to get ahead of this and, and do it before it's too late. And I'm afraid um, that the current big people in the field are not necessarily setting a great example for us. I think uh, the current big people in the field have, gotten, have reached the point where they think there is no private data. Uh, they may be right. You know, we may be getting to a, to a point in our society where we're going to revert our model of privacy back 500 years to the village where everyone knew everyone else, else's business. However, the GPRD is trying to stanch that, obviously, and trying to avoid that. And 
bring us up to, to well, almost German models of privacy. Uh, I'm not sure how well that's going to fly in North America, but I can I commend the Europeans for trying to, to trying to get that done. Although as an American, sometimes I wonder if they're just doing it because it's American companies and not European companies that are doing this. Well, yeah, the GDPR goes pretty far in certain areas that I think are going to be almost impossible to meet the standard yeah. which it sets, and I don't think it's terribly realistic. But it is a good thing to, to for somebody to put the gauntlet down and say, you know, people have rights too, not just companies. Yeah. And hopefully, the end result of all this will be some balance in the middle. And yeah. And in the meantime, um, a lot of us are just going to have to work really hard to try to, to try to meet these well, new standards. It's an interesting argument. I mean, you know, is is a GPRD a is it going to stop the, the, the you know, the, the, the privacy leaks, or is it just a, you know, a noble but lost effort? And, and, and to, you know, are we hurtling toward a future where no one has any more privacy at all? Um, I think the first three percent of your revenue fine that occurs will in, incent companies to be sure that they're not caught with their pants down. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But what if you have companies that don't operate in Europe? Well, that's where sort of things and, get complicated. And you, and, and you can access them through the internet anyway. I mean, is Europe going to block sites from China or India or Russia? Well, we don't have time to uh, yeah. open the can of worms about how <laughs> we create a world government with uh, yeah. international regulations, but this is interesting times, and yeah. that, uh, with that, we'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 265. As always, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes and Pocket Casts, and anywhere else fine podcasts are found. For the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sofas.com. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>